We'd like to thank our sponsors, No Watch, who are determined to help society connect back to the present moment. No Watch is a smart jewelry, a wearable that measures and predicts stress one hour in advance, helping you restore balance and improve relaxation and sleep with a collection of nine interchangeable gemstones to suit your daily mood and style. Through skin conductance, it knows what your cortisol levels are and where they're headed. With a subtle vibration, you are reminded to stay in the stress-free zone by taking a bath, going for a walk, doing yoga, or meditation. The No Watch campaign is live on Kickstarter, so head over there to purchase your No Watch today at nowatch.com. Supply is limited. Hi, my name is Yasmin Terehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Today's episode is about the five tools to help you find courage, creativity, and inspiration. And on this show, we'll be featuring our guest, Phil Stutz. As a 17-year-old college sophomore, Phil found himself as the sounding board for two guys who were fighting over a girl. (laughs) Without doing much more than listening, Phil watched the trouble resolve itself in front of his eyes and... As the guys walked away laughing with each other, Phil knew life had spoken to him and he had found his calling. Phil received his MD from NYU and after working as a prison psychiatrist on Rikers Island and then in private practice in New York, he moved to LA where he's been practicing since the 80s. And he's the co-author of the book, The Tools and Coming Alive. And I read The Tools a couple years ago and you know, it drastically changed my life when I was implementing them. And I really wanted to share the tools with you. And I also think Phil has such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to personal development and being able to take frameworks and really implement them into your life. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Phil. Thank you. Thank you very much. I hope I can live up to that introduction. So to kick it off, actually, I'd love, uh, before we get into your background and how you uh, came to practice, um, I'd love to talk about the tools, like for people that are listening in who may have never heard of them, or maybe folks who have heard of them, but need a refresher. What are these five tools and why did you create them? Here's what happened to me. I, you know, I'm always a little bit intellectually rebellious anyway. Um, and I, I was being trained as a psychiatrist. And, and then at the end of your training, they give you patients. So you, you can, patients become, in a sense, guinea pigs um, for you learning how to do psychotherapy. Um, and there was something about it that the, the way I was being taught and the way I was being um, supervised, there was something about it that just... It struck me as as wrong. Yeah. So so let's walk through that tool. So for people that are anxious, um, you know, and, and I also want to double click on the point um, in the book where you talk about a higher force and this idea of forward motion. Yes. Um, can can we walk through like okay, what do I do? Okay, I'm on stage. I'm having maybe anxiety about presenting, or I'm you know very nervous about. It could be any number of things. Yeah. What is the what is the next like two three steps? Yeah. Okay. Very good. The, the, the first step, believe it or not, is just to label what's going on. A lot of people don't don't even have a um, a model to define what what the challenge is. So here the challenge is very clear. It's how do you reverse your relationship to fear, basically, to to avoidance. So. What you do is in, instead of trying to um, squash your fear or push it down, you want to feel it um, 
as deeply as you possibly can. Now, before I take you through the tool, just to tell you the the crux of this tool is that um, it's called the the law of fear, which is if you avoid fear, it gets worse. If you try to back away, avoid, avoid going, giving a presentation, the fear gets worse. If you accept fear, or if you go, if you go towards your fear, the fear diminishes. Now it's not a hundred percent true, but it's it's much more true than you would think. So, and this is this this gets into the the uh, concept of training people. So you're training people to recognize fear in the moment, right now, when it comes up, and then faster than they can think just to use the tool and see what happens is that is that clear i'm going to take you through the tool right now yes that's very clear yep okay good so what you do is you you feel the fear and you say obviously this is all silent but you want to make it an intense inner experience even though it's um even though obviously you don't want to break your lease or something but the first thing you say is Bring it on like that with as much force as you can. And what happens is your fear appears like a cloud right in front of you. And the next thing you do is you want to rush right into that cloud of fear and become one with it. And when you do that, you say, I love fear. Okay, so it's bring it on. The fear um, emerges as a cloud. You go right into the fear and you say, I love fear, and you become as deeply as you can. You want to become part of that fear. Now, the third step is um, you, you've not you've you've gotten so deep into the fear that you're actually past the fear. It's behind you, and at that point, you you're like it's like being shot out of a gun. You feel this force pushing you forward, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And and then you say, "Fear sets me free." So it's bring it on. I love fear. Fear sets me free. Some people um, just say the words and it's helpful. Now, the philosophy behind this has to do with forward motion. In other words, the philosophy that we work under is most things get better if you're making forward motion. And whatever that means to you, you know, we can discuss that. Um, and the reason is the whole universe is in motion anyway. And if you put yourself in motion, it puts you more in harmony with um, uh, with with the environment of the world outside you. So, um, and that, that's most of the time when people meet me for the first time, this is the tool that they want. Um, and for some of them, it's the first time in their life they've, they've ever had anything that would help them with with fear. So, you know, and you know, there's a typical shrink thing where the person will come in, their anxiety is out of control, and then they'll always want to go back to, well, you, you had an abusive father who destroyed yourself. Or not, that's not wrong, by the way. It's just it doesn't help them right at that moment. Now, to be fair to the whole, um, how would you say, psychiatric establishment, they've gone way beyond that now. So it's no one. No one is, is in such a like mechanical way. Just says, um, "Well, actually, some of them do, but the younger ones, I don't think do." They don't. They don't just say, "Well, let's let's go back again for the nine millionth time to the causes." I'm not against finding out causes. I'm really not. But it, it, this has to come first. Why does this have to come first? Number one, because people have real problems and they're suffering. 
Number two, if you want to imbue somebody with any kind of confidence in themselves or in the future or in the therapy itself, you have to take them through an experience that gives them some hope. And you can't do that by talking. I've been doing this for 40 years. Um, you can't do it by talking to them. You have to create an experience. And that is the, um, is the uh, conceit of this whole philosophy. Phil, that's so powerful, the, you know, giving them some level of hope that you can move forward. Because I think so many people, even if they become aware of what's happening, like, you know, this, you know, something happened to them in childhood or they have like some sort of trauma, um, knowing that is not enough to move them out of it. No. And so that's why I love the tool so much. Okay. So reversal of desire. So, you know, you, you say the words, bring it on when there's a fear and you move right into <laughs> the, that dark cloud and you feel it, you experience it, and you essentially move through it. Because I think a lot of people, they get scared that, you know, that they're, they're just going to get stuck in that area and it's just going to hold them and maybe debilitate them. And so, you know, my question is like, how long does that usually last? Like, are you saying that there's just this propeller motion that you're just supposed to like move through this, you know, with such intensity and such force? And also you talk about how these tools are not you know, there are, there's something that you should be integrating into your life. Like, you know, you can't just do a one time and expect that this will work indefinitely. It has to be like, you know, kind of a part of your life and a consistent practice. So if you could speak about those two things, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, number one, um, this, all of this requires a tremendous amount of repetition. My partner, Barry Michaels, who's a co-author of both of those books, is he's the greatest single user of the tool, user. He's got a huge practice, he's famous, but a user of the tools, which makes me respect him more than anything else. In other words, he, he uses them more than I do. In fact, in fact, the interesting thing is when I discovered all these tools in my, I guess in my early 30s, the first two years after I discovered them, I never used them, never. I thought I was better than the patients. So, then life got so difficult and I went through so many things. I said, you know, this is ridiculous. I, why, see, I made all these tools up. Why can't I use them? And I, and I did. It, it was pretty much life changing. What was the question again? I know I'm going off. Um, uh, yeah, no. And the other question was, um, you know, how many times does it take for the tools to really stick oh, and work? Yeah, listen yeah. very carefully. There's a thing called a string of pearls. I mean, if you could, there's no visual on this, but if you just, if you just imagine, you know, like a line and then a little circle, a line and then a circle, all connected. So it's like a string of pearls. Okay, each each one of those circles represents an effort, a willful effort to do something. It applies to anything, but it certainly applies to these tools. What does that mean? It means that your identity, so, so the string of pearls is effort, 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 independent of the results of any given effort. In other words, one effort may be smashing and the thing may go away for a day. Another effort may do nothing and anything in between. It doesn't matter. No, no one thing matters. When ma the string of pearls is a philosophy that takes you, that insists that you keep going. That's the best way to say it. Now, how do you do that? You say, I'm not somebody who's free of fear. I'm not somebody who's crushed by fear. I have no opinion about that. My identity is I'm the one who puts the next pearl on the string. 
I'm the one who puts the next pearl in the swing, meaning no matter what happened, I got to do it again. This is, by the way, another um, major uh, illusion or, or let's say wish that people, um, that people wish, wish the universe worked like this, but it, it doesn't. There's no end point. It's another thing I'm a freak on. There's no, there's no end point to any of this stuff. It goes on forever. The bad news is that means you got to do the work forever. But the good news is the foreverness of it, if you do do the work, make, makes you immortal in a certain sense. Mm. I love that. It makes you immortal. And uh, Phil, I, I know I have so many more questions, so I'm, I'm uh, just going to continue to ask you know, about the, the tool, the other tools yeah. uh, for our audience to learn from. But before we move on from that, I just want to also ask, you know, why are so many people interested in staying in their comfort zone rather than moving through the pain? Like I sort of, you know, my, my reference point right now is that it feels like a lot of people are just apathetic. Um, there's like, just like a, a desire to do nothing. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I'm just wondering, like, has it gotten worse in the last 40 years since you've been doing this work? Uh, is it kind of the same and we're just seeing more maybe news about it? Uh, since mental health is no longer, I think, stigmatized like it used to be. Why are people so afraid of moving out of their comfort zones? I think one, it's an excellent question, by the way. I think one thing is just um, habit. And, you know, we're very much creatures of habit. If you want to get to the spirituality of it, you can almost say the material world, the non-spiritual world, is, is kind of like a blind set of habits that the person never transcends. Um, so, and because the, the, the spiritual world, I, I call it the, um, uh, the world of uncertainty. Um, that's, that's just the nature of the spiritual world. Um, people don't like that. We have an illusion, I call it the realm of illusion. The realm of illusion means that I think, well, if we go back to that, um, string of pearls thing that I just uh, mm -hmm. outlined. If you put a little black dot inside of each one of those circles, then you have, um, then you have reality. Now, you know what the black dot is or what it means? Uh, it's like a reference point? No, I'm not sure. The black dot is a turd. <laughs> every oh, effort, every that's effort, right. <laughs> every effort that, that a human being makes is subject to imperfection. That's just the, the way it is. And people don't like facing that because it, uh, here's the three uh, key things of, of human existence, so to speak, which is, um, what do you call it? Uncertainty, pain, and the need for constant work. Uncertainty, pain, and the need for constant work. That Nobody gets exonerated from that, nobody. However, um, people, <laughs> hope springs eternal. So people think if only I could do this, if I could get the right girlfriend, get enough money, buy a big house, get the right friend, whatever, it doesn't matter, you know, get cast in this movie. Then I, the, the laws of the universe are abrogated. I, I, I don't have to deal with them anymore. I, I've, I've risen to this ascendant state, which is complete bullshit. And by the way, it's one of the reasons suicide is, is such an issue. I mean, there, there are a lot of reasons. But the whole society was built on quicksand. It was based on the promise 
that you could be exonerated. And now, and now it's going to get worse because we're in for, you know, relatively long. I hope it's just two or three years, but it could be, who knows how long it could be. And if you want to survive and find meaning in what's going on, you can't find meaning in results because the results are going to be spotty and um, inconstant. Like the stuff I do um, will, in the long run, help you tremendously, I, I think. But maybe not this week or maybe not today, whatever. And when people realize they have to keep doing this over and over and over again, a lot of them give up. A lot of them don't even try in the first place. And that goes back to avoiding pain or avoiding fear. Fear and pain, it was the same thing. And, and that's part of the reason why, um, uh, you know, people are so complacent. But in the back of their minds, they have a, they have a fantasy solution that's never going to happen. And, you know, if you get disappointed enough times, eventually you give up. And then, then you're just looking for a soft birth, so to speak. Wow, yeah, that's um, so poignant, um, this results-driven culture. I mean, I think it's just the nature of capitalism and the, the world that we live in, which I think has, has kind of blocked us from connecting to ourselves, yes. you know, and uh, and doing that deep inner work. Like, we're all looking for validation and truths outside of ourselves rather than turning inward, which is, I think it's hard, you know, it's, you have to face a lot of things that, you know, in culture we've decided to numb out. So, um, so Phil, I want to talk about active love, which is the next tool. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the maze as, Uh you know, this is something that so many of us get stuck in. I call it a spiral. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, you know, I love the image of a maze. And yeah, and can you talk about that and how you connect with what you call the outflow? Yes. Um, okay, here it is. Um, we all have an idea about how we think we should be treated by the world and how people should deal with us, think about us, show, uh, show us respect. Mostly it's respect. You know, I saw this clip once of this kid um, who was, you know, ghetto kid. He was... Um, he, he was up for, uh, I think, murder, murder one or murder two, I don't know. And, and the, the, the cop was interviewing me and said, um, why did you do this? The kid was on his knees begging for his life. And uh, the, the other kid says, I, I, I had to kill him because otherwise it, I, would lose, I would lose respect. Now, you might say, well, that's the ghetto or whatever, but they're absolutely, the ghetto is just a complete mirror of um, of what the the more educated part, if you want to use that as a um, if you want to use that as a code word, um, it just it might not involve murder as much. But the, okay, so I'm, I'm going to so respect um, is if somebody insults you, if they say your script sucks, I don't like the way you talk. I don't like your friends. You gave a poor presentation. It doesn't matter what it is. It's, if you get, uh, so we call that an injury. So you, you, to your sense of well-being, to your sense of value as a human being, it's, it's attacked, right? Um, now, then, now here's what happens after that. So your feelings are hurt and you feel you were mistreated. If you want to think of it as a kind of victim thing, it's, it's very ubiquitous. Um, amongst human beings. But here's the, here's the problem. 
then part of your mind, which I call part X, says, I am not moving forward with my life, which has nothing to do with the person who dissed me, disrespected me, until I get paid. And what does that mean? It means the person will I, either I take revenge on the person, I kill them, or I, whatever I do to them, or they apologize to me, or they make it up to me. Or something. So, you know, there's a thing in uh, Hamlet that when the, the ghost comes to um, tell Hamlet he has to avenge him, and um, the ghost says, you have to make the balance right, or something to that effect. It didn't work out too well because by the end of the play, everyone's dead, except I think the uncle. So it's not a good way, it's not a good way to, to live. Hope, um, believing that you're entitled to or it's even possible for you to get something that will compensate you for the pain that you felt. Now, but people, obviously, they don't, um, they don't believe that or they don't understand it or they don't want to understand it. So... They, so life gets put on hold. That's the maze. The, the emotional focus and the, the uh, level of importance um, has to do with getting paid back. And you refuse to move forward in life until you get paid. That's, that's what the maze is. And um, like there's somebody I'm, I know really well that um, she, she, she lets herself get um, involved in that. And she literally can't function. And, and the, th the things never get resolved completely anyway. Anyway, so that's the maze. I just draw it for them as a, as a, just like a maze. You know? um, here's the trick of this. Then we'll talk about the tool. The conceit is, like, I, I always say, if you're working for me, meaning if, if, I'm, if you're my patient, um, you are not allowed to be in the maze. You're just not allowed to do it. And they always say, well, yeah, but they they did this to me. They took this job away from me. They lied about me. And my re reaction is that may be the, the case and that may have really hurt you. Meanwhile, time is passing. Time is passing. The only commodity you have that really has ultimate value. So if you want to waste your way, you know, it's like cutting your wrists and just bleeding out, on, you know, on the ground. Um, if you want to waste your life like that, fine, but it's, oh, uh, a successful life is somebody who can work through these, these injuries, you know, if you want, or if you were narcissistic injuries, and go forward knowing they will not get paid, if you understand how I'm using that word, um, in terms of what's happened in the past. And I, it's, we, it's such an extreme training that the, as soon as the person feels injured, whether it's a huge injury or a small one, they, I have them trained so that immediately they, they ask themselves, uh, what do I have to do now to free myself from the maze other than getting paid? I'm not gonna, it's not going to get even that. It's not going to be fairness. Fairness is for losers. It's like the ultimate booby prize. I love that. So, so let's uh, talk about the tool of active love because I think so many people – you know, especially in this last year during this pandemic, like there's a lot of like, I can't believe this happened to me. Yes. Like, why me? Why this? Um, and I think, you know, society is right now very unbalanced. Uh, there's probably going to be a lot more incidences of um, unfairness. And I think, you know, being able to constructively do things in your life is going to require that level of forgiveness and also not giving energy to things that are not going to help you move forward essentially, right? Being stuck 
uh, on some sort of grievances from the past, which is very difficult to do. I think it's just our human nature to, um, you know, to hold on to things um, when we feel like someone has hurt us. So this act of love is calling in like all this really abundant energetic kind of energy of love and sending it to the other person and really penetrating them with that love. And yeah, I love that. Um, I've tried that in the past and it's, it's been really profound. And I think once you tap into the energy of love or as close as you can get to love, you sort of realize, you know, what we're all here for and, and, and what we're all doing together. It's just like really teaching us each other how to love, like through, through a lot of different, um, experiences. Oh, so Phil, so I know that we are almost, you know, running out of time and I have so many other questions. So I want to actually ask you a couple more before we wrap up. Um, so we only got to second to two tools. So we got to the second tool. Um, but we, I don't know if we have time to talk about self-expression, um, the tool about, you know, the shadow. And I think, I think that the shadow is something that's so interesting in Western culture uh, because so many of us are not willing to embrace it or even acknowledge it as a part of us. You know, we, we, um, you know, even just philosophies around like, I just want to see, like, I just want to be filled with light or I just want to be a person of light. You know, I don't think that does us a service of like what it is to be human. We all have shadows. Um, and so, yeah, so I was wondering if you could talk to us about how to create that sort of inner authority to help people express themselves and deal with the with their shadow. Okay, here's the thing. I, when I first got out here, I, I started to treat actors. And for a while, I was really treating a lot of them because they all know each other, so they refer them to me. And uh, here's the thing. You probably know a lot about this. Is that correct? Uh, about self-expression or about this particular tool? No, about actors. You know, uh, I am not as well-versed in pop culture, I think, as people think. (laughs) (laughs) I'd much rather be, you know, reading a book, um, you know, that was written a hundred years ago. But yeah, I do, I do watch, um, a lot of movies at least, maybe not a lot of TV shows, but. Okay. I just wanted, because there's a thing called a callback, you know, if if you're, um, if you're trying to get a job on TV, you have to audition more than once. It's like an elimination process, so you might have to audition two, three times. So, so let's say you, you, um, you, the first level of auditioning, which is the, the, the easiest level, you, you do really well. You hit it out of the park. So then you have to come in the next week and do it again for people who are a little bit higher up on the food chain. And then eventually you have to do it for the network when they used to have networks, so whatever. Um, but here's, the, here's what would happen to them. So the guy would give a great first audition. Then he would say, and this is basically, he would say this to his shadow, which in a second I'll explain what that means. He would say to his shadow, I don't want them to see you. If they see you, they're seeing all my flaws, failings, etc. So... Just stay outside. I'll be be back in five minutes. You know, I'll buy you an ice cream cone. Just stay outside. So the actor tries to go in and give the audition without his shadow. Now, do you know what happens? Tell us what happens. (laughs) (laughs) What happens is you get a flat reading. So your shadow, even though it's the part of you that you're insecure about, 
that seems very flawed. It's also the part of you that's juicy, that's mysterious, that adds a dimension. It adds that vibratory dimension to things that it's hard to define. So if you try to do the audition without the shadow, it comes out flat. It's like, yeah, he's all, he's all right, but no, no interest. So what I, I started to tell this, these uh, actors, listen, when you go in for an audition, you have to bring your shadow with you. And their response is, are you crazy? If, if they really knew what was going on inside me, they wouldn't even talk to me again, let alone ever give me another audition. That's wrong. That's not true. That, that's, that's based on the person's hang up about or perfectionism. And perfectionism is an attempt to control the future. And nobody, nobody gets to do that. So if I do this perfectly, then my future will be bright. So the, somebody, and I, I've ended up treating a lot of actors that are really, you know, really good. And um, basically they're all saying, I must have my shadow with me. One guy said, who was at that time probably one of the most famous, he said, I don't know if I'm doing well, if the audition was good or not, or will be good, but what I do know is that something is going to happen. At least I've reached that point. Something is going to happen. That is so important. Now, okay, so we're not too deep into the action thing, but everybody has this problem. You can say life is a performance. And the nature of human beings is they try to avoid um, anything. They, they try to perfect the experience of presenting something. And what, what that does is it makes them nervous. It makes them look like they're unprepared. And it, it makes the other, if you don't bring your shadow with you, it makes the other person. Mm. And for me, it feels like, it's hard to trust someone mm -hmm. who doesn't bring their full self. And I think what's so interesting about that, like your shadow side and your light side is that we all have this tension, this like really this paradox within us. Mm -hmm. And I think so many of us just want to sit in one of the polarities, which just feels so unbalanced too. So I love that. I mean, I think, um, and then specifically, if I recall the tool correctly, um, what you tell the shadow, you kind of like, can we walk through the actual uh, tool itself? Because I remember that you kind of tell the shadow to sit next to you, but also to watch. Isn't there some kind of piece of that when you're when you're kind of presenting? Well, okay, this tool is um, as it should be. It's constantly evolving and changing. Okay, <laughs> um, but the the idea of the tool is. Um, your the sense of authority, the sense of confidence, the sense you know what you're doing, the sense of flow has to come from your relationship with your shadow. Um, however, that means you have to you have to tolerate um, him bringing him with you or her in your case. Um, here's where it starts to get dimensional or multidimensional. Nothing that I tell you now will work unless you're working with the shadow every day. Why? Because the shadow, almost 100% of the time, the shadow feels um, abandoned. And, you know, the ego is going out and trying to conquer the world or accomplish this and that. And the ego has a set of uh, values that don't turn on the shadow. That means nothing to you. The shadow doesn't give a shit if you get, the, you get a part or not. 
So here's one way to do it. Um, see, I, I just got a little lost because I'm constantly changing my relationship with the, with the shadow. Um, but what, what you do is you, um, you, you see, the, you have, first of all, you have to do some homework. You have to get into what, do, can I find a, an incident in my life, not going back to last week or last year, and can do that, it doesn't matter, where I felt publicly humiliated, inferior, unacceptable, flawed, whatever. And, you know, the classic one is like the freshman year in college. And um, the per person got depressed. They didn't, weren't making any friends. They stopped leaving their room, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, whatever it is, because you need a picture of yourself. You need a picture of your shadow. That's number one. And that, you can't you can't do you can't do that on the spot while you're having to express yourself. You have to you have to be you have to be working on that all the time. And this, by the way, the shadow will morph. You won't even see her the same way every time. So it's it's much more complex than the other tool. Um, okay, but let's say you have this picture of this person and you're about to, let's say, make a presentation or something. You say, you say to the shadow, I can't do this without you. And some people actually get down on your knees and beg, please help me. And the more vulnerable you can be in that moment, the better. And what you do, the reason that's called inner authority is that's in contradistinction to the um, audience, in quotes. And that, in that chapter, the audience is problematic because if you want the approval of the audience, that's outside you, right? You're looking outside you away from your shadow. So, and what I tell people is after they beg the shadow to help them, while they're actually presenting themselves, they try to keep the shadow in mind. They, they try to see her while they're talking. Now, now, at first, that seems really difficult because people are afraid if they, if they let go and, and include the shadow that they're going to sound like idiots. I have, I have this problem all the time. Like even, even today, I've been working on it. Um, so basically, you have to give yourself up. To, so you beg. And then you have to be as bold as you can in terms of expressing yourself, keeping the shadow in, in mind. Or in mind, in mind is even stronger for visually seeing the shadow is probably the best way to say it. And, and as you get better at it, you want to get the feeling, not just the concept, you want to get the feeling that she's with you. That, and that may be why you, uh, you, you mentioned the... Um, uh, sitting next to you. Hmm. Got it. Wonderful. Well, Phil, thank you so much for your time. I have so many more questions, but I want to be respectful of your time. So have a wonderful day and I'll be in touch when this um, interview is close to airing. Okay, great. Thank you so much. And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learned about some tools to help you find courage, creativity, and inspiration. And you can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one -on -one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Thanks again.